Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Massage Therapy Now. I am your host, Damien John. Today I have with me a guest from Ontario, Donald Quinn Dillon. He has a large bio, which I have in front of me, but I'm going to ask him to introduce himself to us today. Hi, Don. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. And who are you? <laughs> well, thanks, Damien. I've been a fan of your show. I've been enjoying interviews uh, that you've been conducting. Uh, we've oh, got you. some common friends with Brian Fulton and Michael DeRoche and mm-hmm. Bodie Harrelson. So I've been enjoying listening to the podcast and really admire what you're doing to uh, to get more information out into the field to generate discussion. I appreciate that. Um, in terms of me and who I am, I'm a, a registered massage therapist therapist in Ontario. As you mentioned, I've been practicing almost 28 years. August 1st will be 28 years. I've worked in a variety of settings. I worked early on with the uh, national rowing team, did some some athletic therapies with them and uh, managed a clinic for about 14 years in a fitness club when I had uh, other RMTs working with me. And uh, did work in, uh, I've done some uh, work in a spa short term as well too. So I've, I've had a chance to work in a variety of settings that massage therapists typically work in. Uh, I would say that I became an RMT by happy accident. I was in the fitness field and was, uh, had done really well, but was getting rather bored with the, uh, uh-huh. w- with my role and just happened to be going to a fitness workshop one day and walked by uh, massage therapy college and had never tried massage before. It was something that I read about in the fitness magazines and thought that uh, I might be interested. So I looked into that and they had a weekend course to come and give it a try and see what you think. And I was I was hooked from there. And, and it just turns out that it's a really good fit for me. I, I really enjoy problem solving. I work with a lot of patients with, with uh, uh, more chronic issues or more difficult to figure out issues. And I always love those mm-hmm. Puzzles, that's primarily what I work with. But I also do have a contingent of people that come that are not in acute pain and come for the the wellness benefits. Uh, so, so I have a good balance there. And I've treated, uh, I think the youngest person I've treated was six months old and the oldest person I've treated was 95 years old. So I've had quite a, a broad scope in terms of my practice on on more of the political side some of the listeners might know me from uh, i have traveled across canada have been invited to speak to massage therapy associations uh for their conferences i've been everywhere except for quebec uh je ne parle pas français i'm afraid but uh uh but as well i uh, write a regular column in massage therapy canada magazine and we just started recently uh, a podcast called on the table where we are interviewing a number of influential people in the field and similar to you trying to just generate discussion and some new ideas in the profession on the personal side i have two grown uh young men uh, as children and uh and my wife and i live in niagara which is in ontario which is uh, fairly close to niagara falls so don and i connected through facebook and a lot of his work appears to be around advocacy and why RMTs, massage therapists, need to become better advocates for the profession. And this really stood out to me because as uh, when I was a practicing massage therapist, I was not that person. I was the pretty much the opposite. We just talked before the show. I was kind of the what Don would state or what I'd heard him say before the show was something like uh, in the rebel category where I like to do things on my own. And so I was never that involved with the profession to my detriment, I think, because there are many things uh, at the end of my career, as I got more involved with the Registered Massage Therapy Association of BC and uh, other uh, political bodies within the province that I I realized I had missed earlier as a massage therapist. So our discussion today is going to hit on a bunch of those things. A lot of his articles in the uh, Massage Therapy Canada magazine are related to those topics. And and for many years now, Don, you've been writing about these these things. So I think you've got a really good handle on the material. And I think it'll be really, really useful for people who were in the state I was in and also those people who are, who are current advocates in, in those places. So let's just jump right into to some of the questions and answers that, that we were going to hit on. Um, I read your article, Boom Bust, 
Bain and Breakthrough, which I think you wrote in 2015. And it still really yeah. resonates today to the issues that are that are still on the table. You speak about uh, an unsustainable work model for massage therapists. There's a ton of threads that come off of this, but first, can you speak to why you feel it's unsustainable? Sure, and and you know, Damon, I just want to back up and say, in terms of what you had mentioned about uh, maybe not paying attention to some <laughs> sure. of the broader issues early on. Certainly, I was. Uh, I think therapists are are largely focused. It's just the, the nature of the healthcare model where we're we're a, we're a bit on the margins there. That we work in isolation. We work by ourselves, and our primary focus is caring for people. So we really don't want to bother ourselves with the politics. And I had shared with you personally the reason why I became uh, so interested. I think was because I had a, my wife and I had a baby along the way, and at the time in Ontario. Auto insurance was undergoing a number of uh, uh, changes that it would continue to go through for the next uh, 15 years or so. And I realized for the first time that there were things outside of my direct control in terms of my livelihood and my ability to provide for my family and to maintain a practice. And so I felt uh, compelled to to get involved and learn more about what those uh, external, those extrinsic influences on the profession uh were were and and how they could affect me directly. So you know, I, I think most therapists tend to shy away from politics, but I but I hope by the end of our time today, I will have convinced uh, at least a few to consider looking at the bigger issues because they really do impact us on a on a on a very personal Absolutely. basis at the level of our practice. And yeah, certainly I'd be um, uh, the the article you're referring to uh, I wrote in 2015 was actually a follow up to an article that I had done. I, I think about uh, five or six years before, where I wanted to get a big picture on the profession. So in the article you're you're talking about, uh, which is available online, anybody wants to look it up, uh, it's on the Massage Therapy Canada website, uh, available in digital format for free. And I took a look at where massage therapy came from an economic point of view. So. Uh, how various drivers led to the development of massage, not just in the rehab field, but also in the European spa, uh, athletic performance, uh, which led to work performance, and also in the in the area of human actualization, people trying to become more fully human, and, and that in part with the psychotherapy realm. Uh, and then I had a look in the in the article in terms of some of the things that impact practice. And I talked about how practice, as it's often structured in the in the 60-minute model and the way we learn it is often unsustainable for a, a variety of reasons, and, and certainly not mm-hmm. across the board unsustainable. I mean, uh, there, there are a number of people, Michael DeRoche, a friend of yours and mine, He's uh, he's found a way to make the model sustainable, and I've written about a number of therapists who've made the the model sustainable. But part of the challenge with massage therapy is it's very time and labor intensive. It's really yeah. hard work. Anybody who's delivered a, a massage treatment knows that it's um it's very hard uh, and, and difficult work, and it takes a lot of time to do. It's not something like a chiropractic adjustment or maybe a physiotherapy intervention where you could do it five or ten minutes and you're and you're done. It's it's complex connective tissue and muscle take time to soften. So because it's time and labor intensive, those have to be reflected in the, the pricing of your service and also in terms of the workload that you can manage or the work capacity. And what I find is a lot of the ways that we're trained focus on um, uh, don't 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 mitigate those issues. A lot of people go to school and they might provide four hours of hands-on care during their training. The rest is dedicated to regulations and uh, health uh, care uh, academics and and, and uh, techniques and such. So the actual hands-on portion is relatively little. People enter practice and find, oh my goodness, this is this is really hard work. I've had a chance to work with. Uh, I was I was. Uh, consulted to do some training with one of the corporate models, and I had a chance to witness really hundreds of RMTs applying their their work. And what I noticed was that many had a poor 
use of force transfer. They weren't using their bodies as ergonomically as they needed to. As well, they weren't making use of the tools that were readily available, the electric tables. They weren't raising and lowering the tables to give them a better leverage advantage. They weren't using the hydrotherapies as, as much as they could or hand tools as well. So that, that might be a subject for another podcast, but I, I think we could really look at the delivery of care models and how to make them effective so that therapists can actually treat more people in a day with less stress and strain on themselves. And if we look at the financial aspects, and I, I have to say I'm presenting a very Ontario-centric position here because that's what I'm most familiar with, but our uh, our uh, Massage Therapy Association, the RMTAO, conducted earning surveys in 2009 and 2013, and they found that the average earnings was about uh, 39000 and 41000 respectively, and therapists were working about 19 hours uh, a week of, of average in, in terms of their average work week. So therapists are faced with a position that they either have to raise their fees, which may be possible with some populations uh, that you're, you're treating and certainly make it, makes it challenging in terms of what funding is available, but also beca- becomes a real issue with uh, the work capacity, like how much a therapist can work and can they significant, can they generate uh, enough money to, to right. cover their uh, work expenses and then have something to take home as well. And this is not just a, an issue uh, for sustainability with the practitioner side. Some uh, Something that I'm often asked to consult with are therapists who seem to be uh, successful business owners. They've got four or five therapists working for them. They've got signage. Their uh, appointment books are filled. They're doing really well. And the thing that happens, and, and, and this is part of our this is something we need to have a conversation around. Part of our culture is that there's a belief that the business owner who's a, who tends to be an RMT provides the established reputation, the location, and all the provisions like massage table linen, other supplies and services that would be ne- needed uh, to practice, and then gives the lion's share of the service fee to the contracting practitioner. Most businesses can't survive with this kind of business model. And and what often happens is I'm approached by massage therapy business owners who get to a point and say, you know, I'm, things are great. I've got these therapists, the appointment books uh, uh, full and, uh, but I'm not making any money. Uh, So in other words, the business becomes, uh, instead of, instead of providing income for that business owner to expand the business or to put some money away for retirement or, or to, or, or at least as, a salary for brokering this great opportunity for other practitioners, they end up as a charity. They're not they're not making any money, and they're they're trapped in this uh, situation. So there are a number of things, both on the work capacity side, but also on the financial side, which makes the the models largely unsustainable. And I, I think it's something we need to generate some discussion around, so that both the the practitioners who broker the opportunity for other therapists to come in, which are really our most important practitioners. They're creating these opportunities for other RMTs to work. Uh, And the practitioners who come in to work both have financially viable um, vocations. Yeah, that's what Mike and I talked about quite quite a bit when I had an interview with him. And the unsustainability piece, as you've been talking about it, all of those things... Um, stand out to me. The 19 hours in a week seems quite low. Are you speaking to hands-on time or total time? That's uh, hands-on time that's equated. And I think that's backed up in the, I think the latest CMT, the Canadian Massage Therapist Alliance survey also looked at that. So I I looked at an American survey too, and that was, I think about 14 hours hands-on. So it seems to be in terms of work capacity, 14 to 19 hours. And, and interestingly, from the Ontario survey, the 2009, when therapists were asked if they'd like to work more, many of them said, yes, I would like to work more. And they, they mentioned that their expected income was about $20,000 lower than their, their uh, desired income. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm mixing that from an earlier subway in 2003. There was another survey that said there was a $20,000 difference between actual earnings right. and expectations. That was conducted by our regulatory college. But but the 2009 survey talked about, would you, would you work more 
if you could? And, and the answer from a lot of the therapists were that they were worried about burning out. They were worried about straining themselves. So there's this, again, back to the workload, there's this capacity issue where therapists may be, be able to provide a certain level of care above which they start suffering from repetitive strain injuries. And so they back off on working and then they feel the financial pressure. And so they've got to ramp back up again. They get injured again. So there's this vicious cycle. Uh, uh, and, you know, I think massage therapy as a as a part-time discipline, if you were working 19, 20 hours a week and you could fill the other 20 hours with something lucrative, it's an excellent uh, part-time in terms of pay. It, it really is a well-paying position. But therapists that are trying to get full-time with all the challenges with the work capacity that I mentioned and then some of the other things I think we'll talk about mm-hmm. in terms of the economic pressures on fees and, and what you can charge and what you can earn, those all create situations where I see a lot of social media posts where therapists are are yes. struggling financially. I think sustainability is something when I went to school that was not really hit on very heavily. There was this idea that I would leave school and I would be yeah really financially stable and not only that, uh, able to do the work and you're hitting on things like physical pressures and, and other things. But I also think there's, when we're working therapy, there's all of the emotional components and everything else. So we're, we're, it's this complex system that you're trying to figure out how to make financially viable and, uh, stay afloat and, and make a living and pay for your home and all of these other things, support children. And uh, yeah, for many of us, it's a, a major problem that some of us solve and some of us don't. And it sounds like the problem solving generally comes from people who work well outside the norms. Like they, they push the boundaries of time that they can do. And maybe it's because they're somewhat superhuman. We all have stories of some of our friends who can do 12 hour days and, and uh, but yeah, most yeah. of us yeah can't or won't or choose not to um and so yeah then how do we make the norm then the ninth let's say it's 19 hours how do we make that a sustainable thing and on top of that um i i often come at it from the the frame of um because uh, i grew up in part in first nations communities which are often quite poor uh, and so, and, and no massage therapy in rural remote communities at all, even unknowing of what that is. And in that space, um, having a, a, a huge disparity between, let's say, class. Uh, and, and when we're talking about sustainability, it also hits on these other places of if you want to do work with these types of communities, these poor individuals, poor communities, let's say Vancouver's East side, perhaps, or, or something like that. How then do we account for those particular portions of our, of our population and our communities and, and how, um, do we, as a profession address this? Like what are the benefits to RMTs and, uh, as to who we treat and, and why we treat them? Yeah, I, I share your concerns. I mean, it, it seems to me that massage therapy is fairly exclusive. There are only certainly certain populations either have generous employee benefit plans or are paying out of, of pocket. But it's I think it's a real issue for us. And and I would I would say what I think would be helpful is a is a shift away from I get the sense that um, Right now, our stakeholders in the profession may be aiming for what I would call a Uh physiotherapy light position. So they're saying, well, we treat musculoskeletal injuries too. You know, don't forget about massage therapists. The physiotherapists are doing that, but don't forget about us. And I I really don't feel that's where our primary focus should be politically. I look at some of the examples that exist out there. Uh, For example, we're going to be introducing uh, interviewing somebody from Casey House in Toronto. It is a it is a facility that treats HIV positive patients. Uh, it's affiliated with the hospital, and the massage therapists are actually salaried right. under the hospital budget. Now, that's as you know very unusual uh, because most therapists are working in either rent positions or contract positions. So the fact that a hospital would actually endorse massage therapy as part of their program, I think we need to look past rehabilitation and consider public health. And some of the 
populations I would really like to see served in community clinics and, and hospitals would be the, the disabled, uh, palliative care, victims of domestic violence, refugees, and the homeless. And, you know, I, I think we would, you'd mentioned the indigenous communities. I think we should have special consideration for the indigenous communities because, because of multi-generational trauma, they fit into a lot of the categories I've just mentioned. And I think if we could find a way, if we could be creative in terms of public funding models to serve uh, areas of, rather than fee-for-service models as they currently exist, looking at ways to fub, mm-hmm. fund public health initiatives, uh, creative ways to, to fund public health initiatives like this this clinic at, hey, at Casey House I mentioned, and be able to provide care to these groups that are marginalized, that certainly don't have the income to be able to afford our typical fee schedule, and and require care in, in, in perhaps many cases more than other populations do. Yeah, if you take away the fee-for-service model, and like you said, with the hospital, with the people who are working in that particular, is it KC House, you said? KC House, yeah. One who are, yeah, where they're salaried. I mean, it solves two problems. It solves the problem of of um, serving underserved populations, and it solves the problem of sustainability as a therapist in in that sense. And so, um, yeah, the, the fee-for-service model is, is a heavy bias of the industry and almost there's almost no talk at least in the circles i've ran through about other versions is that true out in ontario as well yes but but it doesn't mean that success models don't actually exist and and damien mm-hmm. i will um after our podcast i'll send you a link to an article i wrote and I'm, I'm sorry i can't remember the name of the clinics there was one on the u.s side in bc uh and one on the canadian side uh, i think seattle and, and then in vancouver but th- these are places that provided services to individuals that otherwise would not receive healthcare or be exclusive to healthcare, and they found they had some very creative funding models that they use. And the uh, there's a univer- there's a integrated medical center in I believe it's Connecticut, um, the Myrna Bird B I R T Foundation. And my understanding is that Myrna Bird was a woman of influence uh, of means of, of financial means. And she had uh, cancer and was looking for not just what Western applications could apply, but also some of the what would be entitled complementary and and alternative medicine. So they've set up a program there where my understanding is funding is available on the CAM side, which means that if a physician sees a patient and they believe they could benefit from massage therapy care, let's say, and the person doesn't have coverage. Well, they have a, they have they have funding available so that if your services don't qualify under the, the public health care system, funding would be available. So you wouldn't have to make that decision. Well, I'd really like to have massage uh, to treat my carpal tunnel, but I I don't have funding, so I'm going to have to go with the public funding model and get the surgery or get something more invasive. So, you know, I, I'd love to see us exploring as a profession some of the funding models, the creative funding models that exist out there and see if we can find ways to advocate to government, bringing them forth as, a, as an example and showing government that there are other ways to fund these uh, care and bring massage therapy care to these marginalized populations. Mm-hmm. Which also uh, kind of segues into our next space we're going we're gonna to talk about because uh, that creativity and bringing that uh, information to the the bodies that can make a, a difference in terms of funding, such as government, requires a reasonable amount of pressure from individuals who are massage therapists or who are interested in massage therapy as a uh, treatment style that stays fresh and available. And and uh, and if we don't do those things, we begin to lose perhaps ground with being seen as viable as far as uh, a, a good health service and and that's that's a threat to individuals livelihoods and jobs and everything else yeah. and, and part of a lot of what you write about speaks to these things so I, I was curious what's your take on the threats to massage therapy as a practice can you list some of the main ones and and explain why it's so threatening because 
as a person who was practicing and hasn't been practicing for a number of years, I was just easily resting on my laurels and getting by. But it feels like that is starting to not be the case. Can you speak to those ideas? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I think for massage therapists, uh, with the advent of regulation and coverage by insurance, we really have, it has been a good time to be a massage therapist and we really have benefit for, from a number of years, but there are some signs that things are, are changing. And, and certainly I'd be happy to, to speak to some of those. Mm-hmm. And again, these are, these are probably, uh, more outside of the day-to-day practice stuff, therapists may not necessarily it may not be top of mind. But I'm I'm hoping with our talk today, they'll maybe they'll be more top of mind. So um, one of the things that I think we have to work worry about is workplace uh, benefits clawback. Anybody who's been reading my stuff recently, there was a there was a Green Shield Canada post, which uh, w- was rather. Def- defamatory in, in saying that massage therapy is about as good as a, as a nap. Right. And uh, in addition to that, there were uh, there was a podcast that looked at, uh, the insurers admitted that massage therapy has certainly short-term pain benefit, but there they had a number of questions, like from a cost perspective, is it any better than a yoga class or a mindfulness class or doing some exercise? They were looking for some comparative studies to see if massage therapy uh, uh, is really more cost-effective and if the benefits are different. They had some questions about our broad scope of practice not being linked to outcomes and uh, treatment guidelines so that the insurers, when they're, uh, it seems to be expected that if it's a regulated health profession, uh, well, of course you should pay for the intervention, but we really don't have a lot of evidence to back up uh, for example, for headaches or low back pain, like how many treatments are needed, what would be the total cost of the of the treatment plan? We don't we don't have those kind of statistics, and insurers are looking for that. They want to know the level of efficacy for our interventions, and they want to have a sense of what those things cost. And of course, they want them linked to evidence. Uh, they want demonstrated efficacy, and they they admit there's a limited pie. I mean, pharmaceutical costs are going up, other costs are going up. Massage therapy is one of the most popular benefits they offer. But they're saying we just can't afford uh, to provide uh, – if the claims going out exceed the premiums coming in, then the insurance company can't can't survive. So I think we have to remember with insurers what has happened is because musculoskeletal complaints other than orthopedic issues are not covered under our provincial health plan. You know, if I have a lung problem or if I have a kidney problem or if I have a stomach problem or if I have a skin problem, then I can go to the doctor and, and there are – uh, provincially endorsed health services. Uh, my health insurance will cover uh, those things, but uh, there isn't for the musculoskeletal. So that's largely physiotherapy services, chiropractic, massage therapy are largely left to employers uh, via employee benefit plans to finance and and the insurers or for people to pay out of pocket. So my concern is what we're seeing with some of the effects in the economy, uh, reduction in manufacturing jobs, uh, people going to the gig economy where people are looking at contract positions as opposed to employment positions, and the insurers uh, really scrutinizing in terms of what they're paying for. They want to know what they're paying for and, and they want to know that it's efficacious. I, I'm concerned that we will... Um, we will see continued scrutiny and, and con- continued containment by the insurers in terms of uh, benefits. So I, I think massage therapists can expect that things are going to get tighter. The insurers have signaled that changes are coming, and we should be prepared to work in situations where either the amount of coverage is reduced. We see in WSIB, uh, that's workers' comp here in Ontario, or auto insurance, the fee schedule is around 50 50 to 58 dollars per session and that's expected that the therapist will deliver about an hour of service during that time so that's quite below our recommended fee schedule right. which is currently 102 uh, hst in so i think we can expect to see that kind of thing we can see green shield canada delisting massage from some of their programs uh, because they're finding them too expensive so there'll be streamlined insurance products and then the insurer or sorry the employer will have to decide do i go with option a which has uh, less benefits, but it's cheaper price, 
Or do I go with option B, which has massage therapy, but it costs so much more to finance for the employee? So anybody um, out there who's interested in this subject, I just recommend going to Massage Therapy Canada. Uh, I've had a number of articles and we've had a few podcasts related to this issue as well. I think it's very concerning and I think the profession as a whole should be looking at insurer relations and, and doing something about that. So, sorry, that was, that was a big one. That's a big threat. So, um, so I loaded that one, but, uh, second one is the oppressive tax. Uh, I believe out in BC, you have been able to drop the PST from services. So you're just charging GST. We have the combined tax out here of 13% in Ontario. I believe it's 15% in some of the Eastern provinces. It's really a very oppressive tax. It cuts directly into people's healthcare benefits or discretionary income and other healthcare services are exempt from this tax. You know, it's, it's really an issue. We really need to get rid of it. Uh, it's taking us a long time to, to go down that road, but we really need to, if, 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 we're, if we want to be seen as healthcare providers, we really need to, to target this tax and, and, and get it off the table. Another thing I would draw attention to is the increase in competition. There are uh, a number of people that provide manual therapy, as we know, physiotherapists and chiropractors, yes, but also some kinesiologists. There is, uh, there is uh, in Ontario anyway, we have something called a PT assistant, so an assistant to the physiotherapist. My understanding is massage is not part of their curriculum at this point, but I think I think we have to look at the hierarchy of healthcare, and if a physiotherapist who now has a gatekeeper uh, position in Ontario, they've had an increase in their scope of practice, they have an increase in, in power. If they are likely to hire somebody to do some hands-on massage techniques, are they likely to go with the massage therapist who's largely outside the healthcare system and independent, or are they likely to go with someone who they, the physiotherapist can exact direct control over, uh, which is the physiotherapy assistant. So I think we have to look at what other professions might be offering massage. might not be the level that you or I are used to, um, and we could argue that our quality might be higher or better trained. But I think we also have to keep an eye on the marketplace and, and healthcare funding and what might happen. And the government has taken real steps to uh, to cut costs in healthcare and to hand assignments down to uh, uh uh, positions that are lower in the hierarchy that are lower paid. So pharmacists, physiotherapists, nurse practitioners, for example, are now doing some of the work that MDs used to do and at a lower fee. So I think we have to look at other providers who are working, uh, who can apply massage and, and, and will, and maybe in better, uh, maybe in models that are, that are better funded or, or more uh, welcomed under the healthcare hierarchy. Another thing we should watch is uh, corporate capitalization. There have been another number of companies that come in, uh, and I would argue to the benefit in many cases, uh, these uh, large companies that work uh, based on a franchise model where they have typically non-massage therapists are, are running the business. These businesses provide all of the things that a therapist needs to work with, the, the session room, the equipment, the appointment bookings, uh, everything is provided for the therapist. The therapist just needs to show up and work. And some of them offer health and dental benefits and other incentives. So it can be a very attractive place to work. It will put pressure on those RMT, uh, those RMT directed businesses out there that may not be as well capitalized and may have trouble competing in terms of the high end commercial space that these franchises command. So I'm not saying these are a, a bad thing. And for many people, they actually provide. Uh, for, for many massage therapists, they actually provide uh, a higher standard of living. They actually pay better and have more benefits because the therapists weren't really, uh, couldn't be effective at running their own clinic. So, so they can be, be they, these can be good models for a lot of people, but they are, they are squeezing, they're putting the squeeze on some of the RMT led businesses. And of course, with membership pricing, they're also putting some downward right. pressure on, on what the value of massage perceives is perceived to be. So, uh, so I would say that's a, uh, an issue too. We have an issue with incredulity in the profession. Uh, just go on CBC and type in massage and, and see what comes up. I mean, either massage uh, tends to be linked, unfortunately, in the media with uh, insurance fraud or sexual abuse or impropriety. So we've got a real uh, issue with credibility we need to address. Uh, of course, we don't have a degree level education in the profession, which uh, compared to physiotherapy or other disciplines is a real issue. And although certainly some research is being generated 
we have an issue where there aren't enough massage therapists who are generating research, where the research can be more attuned to what happens in actual clinical practice. So we need a lot more investment. And your and my mutual friend Bodhi would certainly uh, agree, I think, to that. We need to be able to get more massage therapists doing research in the field and generate more uh, research. And these, uh, of course, the sense of the, all these factors of the uh, the no degree level program and the, and the minimal research and the negative associations with the sex trade or with insurance fraud, those all affect uh, mm-hmm. our relations whenever we go to meet with government or we're trying to build relations with insurers or gatekeeper health disciplines or the the media. This this all. Uh, this all affects us. So, so let, let me just, I, I've put a lot out there. Let me say that I'm, in terms of threats, what I'm concerned about are the cutback on uh, employer benefit plans, the oppressive taxation, the HST, uh, or in your case, the GST out of BC, the increasing competition for people that are doing manual therapy techniques, the incredulity that we suffer from, the corporate capitalization in terms of the, the impact on massage therapy directed uh, businesses. And, uh, you know, I, I think we should also, I think a lot of people are concerned about the low entry level to training. And um, we were hoping that accreditation would solve that problem. But we seem to, in this profession, we seem to suffer from these delays. Accreditation, I, I, you may be aware that the CMTBC is, um, from what I last read, has stepped away from uh, accreditation. And right now, I think only Ontario and New Brunswick and um uh, I think one other province has accreditation going on. The other provinces, uh, Alberta's winding down. So there's a there's a stall in terms of the accreditation process because I guess who's who's going to pay for it and and there's some there's some disagreement there. So this is something we really need to help the credibility in our profession. And right now that's stalled. Regulation takes a hell of a lot of time. It seems uh, Ontario, 1994, the Massage Therapy Act, BC in 95. It was another eight years until Newfoundland got regulated. And then another uh, 11 years until New Brunswick got regulated. And then just recently PEI. So it seems to take a long time. And I guess what I'm trying to say with all of all of these associated threats is we lack a unified vision. And, uh, and we're not collaborating, I think, uh, from province to province, uh, as well as we as we should be, and I would really like to see the Canadian Massage Therapist Alliance become uh, better resourced. I think we could use a national body that oversees government relations at the federal level, certainly guiding the provincial government relations. Insurer relations certainly happen on a national level. Public and media relations uh, happen out of both a local. And a, and a, a federal level and a gatekeeper health discipline relations. It just seems to me that all of these threats that are that are gnawing away at the viability and the credibility of the profession. I would just like to see us. Uh, I, I think the profession suffer, suffers from isolation and working in silos. And I, I think that we could do a lot more to be collaborating and sharing information and ideas and and resources to make uh, issues around uh, these the relations that I mentioned as well as regulation and accreditation all happen that much faster. So 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 I think that's a real issue that 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 lack of coming together as a profession and working on some common issues right across the country. Mm-hmm. So whenever I hear people speaking to these issues and I've I've been in circles where I think we've all many massage therapists get into these circles, especially if you go to conferences and things where there's a lot of talk about these varieties of issues. So if all these threats get addressed, what's our, what's our best case scenario and what's our worst case scenario if none of them get addressed? Do you have ideas as to what those are? Does the, does the profession implode and nobody works? Um, Like what's the, what's the two ends of the spectrum there that you see? Well, I do understand we're currently entering an asteroid belt where we may see more meteorites hit Earth. So, <laughs> so maybe that'll solve <laughs> um, some of the issues. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, what might be helpful is to is for ther- maybe we can ask for some listener participation here. So I'm going to ask everybody out there just to make a 
to, to look at the, uh, the fingers on your right hand. And, and of course, these are the hands you work with every day. You rely on them a lot. And I want you to look at the fingers and each finger we're going to assign something. Okay. So, so for the pinky finger, that, that's our relationship with government in terms of healthcare policy and of the, uh, the taxation like the HST, our relations with government. The second finger are our insurer relations, which of course, by extension, are relations with employers who purchase benefit plans for their employees. So the relations we have directly with insurers. The, uh, the third finger would be the, the, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I just was distracted momentarily. My apologies. That's okay. Um, the third, the third one was the gatekeeper health disciplines. Those that authorize our treatment plans. We need good relations with them. And the fourth finger would relate to the public and media. So how we're seen in the public, how the, how the public uh, perceives our services the fifth finger would be those bodies that we have to be cognizant of, those that might exploit the profession for profit, that might take advantage of the, the good name of massage. So I'm just going to ask people to consider that one open hand on, on, the, on the right. On the left hand, we're going to focus on the intrinsic factors. These are the things that are directly in your control. So this would be uh, the one finger would represent your product or service. So that is the 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 quality of service you deliver, how it's packaged, how uh, uh, how people perceive it. So the the quality of care, the results you get, all that all comes under product. The second finger would be pricing. How you price your product or service. How is it compared to other competitors? Does it stand out? Is it, are you able to offer premium pricing for exclusive services? Uh, are you are you are, are you priced based on the insurance models that you're working on? So your pricing is your second finger. Your third finger is the place. So that's the not only the location you work at, but the sector you're working with. So are you working in rehabilitation? Are you working within the European spa? Are you working with um, on-site uh, corporate chair massage? You're working with athletic massage or in a holistic practice with other uh, practitioners? What kind of uh, place are you working in? The fourth finger is promotion. So how you promote yourself, how you educate users of your service, people that would... Uh, how do they find out about you? How, how do you get across to them what you do and what you're about? And the, the thumb would represent, if you have a large enough business, you might employ people. So uh, maybe a staff receptionist or um, other individuals that, uh, that advise you like a lawyer, a business coach, for example, accountant. So I'm going to ask people to take their left hand, which are the things that you can control, the product, the price, the place, the promotion, and the people. Make a fist with that. And then put that second hand, that open hand, that's the one that is about government relations, insurer relations, gatekeeper health discipline relations, the public and the media, and those that might exploit the benefit of, of massage. And drape that hand over the fist. And what I want, what I'm hoping that our listeners get is the sense that there's a lot that you can focus on controlling within your practice, but there are these overlying influences, these extrinsic influences that have a direct impact on on your uh, on the way you practice and by the way a really important reason for professional associations are to advocate to the this external hand to these relations with the with these outside um, with these outside factors so um, therapists often on social media will talk about things related to their opinions, like their values, for example, rehabilitative massage versus relaxation massage, or they might talk about vernacular patients versus clients. Um, and these are all important issues to discuss within the profession to help mature the profession. But they they don't seem to come to a sense of, of decision-making or closure. Uh, and, and, and I'd really like to see some symposium. So mm -hmm. you, you were, I'm getting, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but in terms of what can we do about this? Well, one thing I think we need to do is recognize what we're in control of, which I mentioned, product, price, place, mm -hmm. uh, promotion, and any people that we employ. And we have to look at those external influences, the government relations, the insurer, gatekeeper health disciplines, the... Uh, public and media and any 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 threats or, or exploiters of the profession that might take it in a direction we we don't want to go. And to answer your question, we have to really work on on that that closed fist trying to expand it. 
we have to think about the messaging and the branding out there. How much are we controlling that? How much is being controlled by external influences? If you see a picture in the media of someone doing massage, are you pleased with it? Do you think it's representative of what you do in your day-to-day practice? Or does it diminish it in some way? And we need to we need to uh, to do something about that. So, so I would say we need we need symposiums. We need thought leaders to get together and work through these critical issues that don't seem to have closure, that we don't seem to have decisions on. We need to better finance our professional associations. Embarrassingly, in Ontario, uh, only forty five about forty five percent of RMTs are members of the professional association, and that's not a reflection of the professional association. The professional association does an excellent job. And if you go to the website, you'll find all of the the uh, issues that they're advocating. We, we just had a government relations uh, exercise at Queen's Park last November. There's all sorts of things that the professional association is doing. But when therapists see themselves in isolation and they don't get involved and they're apolitical, they're not paying attention to the larger issues, my concern is that our, our livelihoods are directly threatened by all of the threats that I mentioned. So... I would like to see symposiums. I would like to see thought leaders coming together to tackle critical issues. I would like to see a national organization that oversees government and public and media and insurer and gatekeeper health discipline relations and be able to then siphon that down to the provincial level so that all the provincial associations can use that. They don't have to be recreating the wheel. I would love to see a collaboration with software developers in terms of figuring out how therapists can be measuring their outcomes uh, under the biopsychosocial model, measuring outcomes on a regular basis so we can have real data in terms of what massage therapy does effectively treat in our day-to-day practices. Let, let, Let our patients or our clients uh, per, demonstrate the efficacy for us. Let's find out how we're doing and let's let's be able to, to mine that data and see uh, and track it across Canada. I'd like to see a lot more information gathering. I mentioned that the, the RMTAO has done an earnings survey in 2009 and 2013. Our, regulated, uh, our regulator, the uh, College of Massage Therapists of Ontario, last did a survey of this sort back way back in 2003 uh, still waiting for the next one. So we have a we have an underappreciation of information about the profession, about what daily practice is like, about the challenges that massage therapists are having. And we also have a lack of uh, responsiveness to those external factors that I talked about that influence our day-to-day practice and have a real have a real impact over our livelihood and our ability to continue going forward. So let me come back to your question, which I haven't answered <laughs> entirely, which is, which is what, what, um, what is the best case scenario? What is the worst case scenario? I believe that's what you yep. were asking, wasn't yep. it, Damien? So, so best case scenario, I would love to see uh, a collaboration by all of the bodies, as I mentioned, uh, a focused effort on building relations with the extrinsic factors that I talked about, government, uh, gatekeeper, health disciplines, insurers, etc. I would love to see every massage therapist in Canada a member of their professional association because professional associations could only do the work that they do with our dollars. If we're not supporting them, they're not, they're not getting that work done. And I think if we continue to move toward improving our education, finding ways to finance research, demonstrating more efficacy in the profession. I think that's those are best case scenarios, better relations, um, more organized messaging and branding, more research development, movement toward higher education and training. I think those are all best case scenarios. And, and, and you know, I, I have to say it's, it's a pretty long reach given our current lack of organization. Worst case scenarios, well, all of the, all of the threats that I had mentioned, um, and we'll take my analogy again of the fist inside of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the hand covering it. Whatever we don't manage will be managed for us. So I could see situations where uh, employment health benefits were cut back or, or excluded from massage therapy. Uh, I could see downward pressure on fees for service. I could see uh, the oppressive tax continuing, of course, uh, more competition for people wanting 
to uh, to impose in terms of massage. And again, not at the level of training and education we have, but still uh, anybody can put up a sign saying they do massage. And, and, and so I, I think we could continue to see that kind of thing. I think our relations with government and insurers and uh, gatekeeper health disciplines and the public and media would continue to diminish, which would hurt our ability to influence government policy or funding or um, getting our treatment plans uh, approved. And uh, I think I think a lot more, unfortunately, public scrutiny and maybe even more more cases of exploitation and fraud and, and impropriety in the profession as well, too. And I, I just think that, I think what we need to do is just recognize we're all in this together. We all need to collaborate and work together. And there are mechanisms that we could be working more in a uniform way. And and we can take back some of the ground that's been lost to those to those uh, to those threats that I talked about. So I'm hope I'm hoping we're leaning more toward the best case scenario. Yeah, me too. Because massage therapy is such a beautiful and excellent profession to be out in the world in the way it currently is. Um, and you've laid out a lot of I think a lot of factors that affect massage therapists throughout North America. I don't know about the rest of the world, but certainly in Canada and and the United States, there are similar pressures. And through all the provinces, there are similar pressures on the profession. Um, I have one more question for you as it relates to those things, because I'm always thinking in terms of first steps. So imagine you come across me. I'm five years into the profession. I'm a lone wolf. I don't really believe that I need to get involved but I'm open to suggestions. What would be first steps that individuals could take in order to um, better the outcomes, easy ones uh, that are um, phone calls or emails away or, or those types of steps, ones that we could very easily do, but we don't. Do you have any that come to mind? Sure. I, I would say the first step is to get informed. So, uh, the, uh, your professional association website will have a list of what they're doing on your behalf. So I, I think start there and find out what's going on. Get involved if you can in some of the committees to help move things in a particular direction. I would also cite um, this podcast and uh, Massage Therapy Canada magazine and a few other sources out there which help to give you uh, an on-the-ground perspective of, w- of what happens in day-to-day practice. I think that would expand your worldview in terms of, of what's occurring. And I, I would just encourage you to, uh, you know, it, it seems like when massage therapists get together, they're a passionate bunch. And when they get together, they love to talk. It's unfortunate that we typically only get together once a year at the mm-hmm. annual conference. Uh, but I think if you can set up some kind of local gathering uh, we call we we have uh, they, we call them the community based networks. Here, I, I think out in BC, you have a number of groups that uh, function similarly. But getting together with other therapists, uh, doing some background reading on the subject, getting together and discussing and and looking at how you can uh, affect. Uh, I, I think there's a real I think there's a real unfortunate sense, especially in the day today of the fake news and the internet and social media that. These are, these are just too big. It's too large. There's nothing that, that we can do about it. But, you know, I, I can tell you that I have been, uh, again, almost 28 years in practice. And some of the things that I hoped for early on, um, I certainly was disappointed they didn't happen as fast as I'd hoped. But I can tell you, I'm, I'm an old guy now, and I've seen, I've had enough time in the profession to see that a lot of great stuff is happening. I mean, I think of the Massage Therapy Research Fund, and I think of the uh, accreditation process, and and regulation is spreading across Canada, and the the online interest of uh, people that are discussing research and critical thinking, and how to how to uh, overlay some of the ways we used to describe things, and 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 look for language that is more effective in terms of dealing with people who experience pain or under the biopsychosocial model. Uh, and the Queen's Park Day we had in Ontario last November. Well, geez, that was something that uh, you know I never knew 
would happen. And, and it's remarkable that uh, there we were, 24 of us, uh, plus a support team down there meeting with representatives of government. So I think that um, if if you give it a bit of time and you, you try to look at the, at the long-term frame, you'll see that a lot of great stuff has been happening in the profession. But what is required is a critical mass. Uh, we all need to become much more uh, politically active in terms of understanding the issues, in terms of uh, talking to our local MPPs, in terms of advocating for uh, funding for initiatives like uh, chronic pain. And uh, I mean, there's a number of uh, I had mentioned earlier, but a number of places where they have found a way to deal with the funding issue so that massage therapy can be incorporated in 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 the funding model rather than standing outside of it. Casey House is an example I mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier. So I, I think if we all decide just to put in a little bit of time, become more educated on what's going on and just take a little bit of time to be more active and to understand the issues and to volunteer where we can. You know, I think it's estimated we've got something like 25,000 massage therapists across Canada. If you think alone, if we just all took $100 and uh, put it in a research fund, 25,000 therapists, I mean, that would be a significant chunk of change to do some uh, research as one example. So, that's where I would start, and I would just, you know, try to. As I became more informed, as I be, as I felt more comfortable with the issues, I would say just keep wading in, and I think you'll be quite impressed over time what this wonder wonderful profession of ours can do when people just join hands and they work yes. together. Agreed, and I think as a first step, uh, the associations, certainly the one in BC, which is the one I'm the most familiar with are so supportive and there's so many good people involved and uh to not reach out and see what's going on at the very least is is doing oneself a disservice as far as being a person who works in a particular field and and i can't imagine anybody becomes a therapist and can stay completely disinterested in (laughs) in what's happening around them as far as the profession goes so yeah there's lots of great ideas here there's probably hours and hours more show we could talk about as it relates to these types of things i am jazzed about all of the potential that could come of things and i'm really uh, i'm on the boat of getting involved as early as possible maybe even as students um, when you're learning about the profession because uh, there's so much that can be done to improve things always. And uh, it's really interesting work. It's not boring and it's worthwhile. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think you've hit on many, many notes that people can explore today. And I'm wondering if people are interested in getting in touch with you, Don, would they do that through the Massage Therapy Canada website or uh, the magazine, I mean, or um, do you have your own personal website or on Facebook? What's what's the best way to to throw you a question if people are curious? Yeah, sure, Dave. I mean, all those things. I mean, my my website. Um, I, I have a practice website, but on on the side of of the profession, uh, my website is Don Dillon D O N D I L L O N dash R M T. That's his in in registered massage therapist. So rmt.com. Uh, I have a blog there and some other resources they can source out. Certainly can find me on the Massage Therapy Canada website, uh, both the articles. And as I mentioned, we have a podcast called On the Table, uh, which we, we have three uh, uh, currently posted up. So you could certainly listen in there. I am on Facebook, active on the RMTO Facebook site. And I also have, uh, you can also find my uh my page as well, where I post a number of links to, and uh, and on Twitter as well. So I'm on all of those uh, all of those uh, media. We'll put the links to his various places you can contact him if you wish. It sounds like he's open to conversation, uh, and 
He's got a whole slew of articles that are worthwhile reads as it relates to many of the things we talked about today. So really appreciate the time today, Don. Um, and uh, we might dive down some holes together in the future based on what we talked about earlier. So that would be a, a great pleasure to, do you have anything you'd like to add to close out? I just, I've really visited, uh, enjoyed visiting with you, Damien. I appreciate what you're doing with the podcast. I think you're reaching people in ways that current print media and other media aren't reaching. So I, I love what you're doing and the, the content that you're bringing to the massage therapy worldview. And I was just really glad to sit with you and your audience. And uh, yeah, I hope we, we uh, find some ways to do more things together. I'm really interested in what you're doing and your projects. And I'm I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's far more opportunity there for us to explore. So great to be here with you today. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will catch you next time. Thank you, Don. And everybody, have a great day.